So let's just continue to pray. I have so many passages I want to share this morning, um, but we'll land on a few of them and um, see what sits with us in terms of ministry as well. So Lord, we just thank you for just the, the beautiful worship this morning. Thank you, Lord, for worship. We pray that, Lord, as I share, that you would continue just to push in with us with what you're doing with each one of our lives, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would show us just how you want to just entangle our lives more and more with you, Lord. So we say, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. It was just such a, I don't know, as we ended that last song, I could have just sat and listened to worship for like another 20 minutes. I could have just... You know, and just that sense of, of you know, often it, it feels like the Lord is just drawing us to himself. You know, and, and kind of like unraveling all the knots of the week. You know, the things where, where I get myself knotted up. You know, and get like caught up with all kinds of things. And it's almost like that entwining, that entangling that we were praying about before the service. It's almost like God sort of unravels, you know, and then pulls us to himself and just weaves us or just like, yeah, embraces us and pulls us into his embrace, which is what I need. And it's, I, I so easily get embroiled in all these other things. I've had a few weeks of it. I'm just getting knotted up with drama. Do you ever have that? And, other, and it's, it's never my drama. I'm not dramatic. <laughs> so it's other people's drama. You know? Family would say differently. So the last few weeks I've been, or twice now I've been sharing on this Christ hymn in Colossians. And um, if you're lucky, it'll be the last time you hear about it for a while. But there's... Um, yeah, there's a few scriptures that I want to preface. I think it's, it's not even preface, it just carries on from the worship this morning. And um, yeah, so a passage that sits, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And maybe the author would say, or entangles. <laughs> All the stuff that trips us up and wraps us up in knots. Let's throw it off. Let's throw it aside. And the sin, that also easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter 
of our faith. You might be more familiar with the passage as the author and finisher of our faith. faith. But just that, that picture of that this is a race. This is, it's not a sprint. It's an ultramarathon. And as we run with perseverance, our gaze, our focus, our attention is not meant to be on our feet and the potholes and, I don't know, all the distractions along the race. They're meant to be lifted up onto Jesus. And a little bit further on in, in Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, always says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Since you've been raised with Him, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so obviously, what Paul is saying there is, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of earthly things that consume us. And there's a lot of stuff that has to be done. But our lives are meant to be lived in a certain posture, with a certain focus. And the gaze of our heart and the gaze of our eyes is set on Jesus. And you see this throughout the New Testament in terms of the gaze of Jesus, but throughout the whole Bible in actual fact. It's like our lives are meant to be lived for God. And so we've been focusing on this poem or this hymn in Colossians. There's another beautiful one um, in Romans, the end of Romans chapter 11. And in Romans, Paul gets into all this like, you know, heavy theology. You know, and I mean, scholars really get themselves wrapped up in knots over Romans and that. It's just a beautiful letter to read. I mean, sometimes we forget it was a letter to a congregation. So just read it. Just read it. And he, he finishes up a section where he's been talking about, oh, what Christ has done and Israel and all these things. And then he wants to get into some practical stuff and it's almost like he pauses and he goes, oh, just some worship. And so if you look in your Bibles, it often says their doxology before verse 33. And it's just a, I don't know, fancy publishing name for just worship, praise, adoration. And so there, from verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God would repay them? From him, for from him and through him and for him or to, or to him, are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that, that phrase just echoes throughout, throughout the whole Bible. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And so that's our worship. But in actual fact, Paul is saying that's how we meant, that's how we called to live our lives. And so back to that other just beautiful hymn in Colossians, 
from verse 15. Paul says there to this early church, um, and again, I just love that, that doxology in chapter 11 and this one here and that, because scholars, scholars just say, you know, wherever we dated Romans and Colossians, this stuff could be earlier. It was poetry and praise and worship that showed just the heart of the early church and shows us what the heart of our worship and adoration is also meant to be. Because he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all of creation. For in him everything was created, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before everything. And everything holds together in him. And he is the head of the body of the church. And so, they kind of think the way this poem is structured is that there are two sort of stanzas. Because this one now kind of mirrors the first one. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead in order that he may be preeminent in everything. For God was pleased for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to him, having made peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So last week in that I, I, I focused probably more on that first stanza, um, where Christ is adored and exalted as the firstborn of all creation. And just that sense that we heard in Romans and, um, I mean, even in worship this morning, that literally in Him, everything comes together. Everything is created, everything holds together. So there's the sense in which we now, the church began to understand that, that whether it was, you know, Hebrews chapter 1 or John chapter 1 we looked at last week and that, that creation did not happen apart from Jesus. But the devotion and the adoration that this understanding brings to us is that creation came about through Jesus, but for him as well. And that's where the worship goes, the focus. It's so interesting. Um, one of the scholars says about this passage is that, that the entire focus of this little poem or hymn is Jesus. That where we pick up, like, the implications for us, it's amazing and it's powerful. But the adoration and the attention is all on him. And as Laurie shared when he sang that song for us and that, it's, it's probably the highest Christology or understanding, adoration, theology of Jesus in the New Testament, that he is supreme over all and above all. And that understanding 
is actually really meant to shape our entire lives. Parents going to find out which child that was. It's nice for a change that it's not ours, hey, Bev? Because a lot of the time it was. (laughs) So then this, um, this second stanza mirrors the first one and says, he is the beginning. He is literally the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that in everything, all things, and it's, it's interesting to try and translate this thing because the text in the Greek literally goes, it's like all things, everything, you know, and you've got to decide which, what you want to sort of like, you know, try and which words you want to try using that. But it's, it's like quite literally every single thing, alles. And it's like, it's like everything came about through him. Everything is meant to be for him. All of it is meant to be about him. Any blood? Oh, that's, okay, fantastic. Cool. Always a relief. So that in everything, he might have the preeminence. One of the translations says supremacy. Quite literally, first place. The word, he is the beginning, is, can be translated the first. He, he's just first. <laughs> it's like, he comes before everything. So in terms of creation, well, he was there before anything. He was with the Father and the Spirit. And so, he's first. That's what the early church was saying. They were saying, like, you know, when this whole planet, this whole cosmos, it's all about he comes first. He was there first. And now when he brings us into this picture, into the story, the story fits and works when he's first. And so how did creation unravel? Well, we got clever. We decided he didn't always have to be first. That every now and then we could do things our own way. And I mean, things literally went, well, apple-shaped, I was going to say. But that's what happens. And I mean, and, and now we read the story of Israel, and we reflect on the story of our lives. And sometimes you, can, you read the story of the Israelites, and you go, oh, they were such idiots. It's so simple. Did they not learn this again and again and again? And then I look at me, and I go, same story. <laughs> it's like, same story. So creation works when he's first. And we were created. And it's like one of the things, I mean, like the revelation that teenagers need. And us. It's like the world doesn't revolve around us. And it's like, it's like, it's one of the most important revelations that, that each and every one of us need. And sometimes we take 
We take a long time to learn that lesson. The world, the family, doesn't revolve around us. There's someone who's meant to have preeminence, first place. And in actual fact, when he is preeminent in creation, our lives and our relationships somehow seem to work in harmony with him. Because that's, that's the blueprint. That's how we were made. And so now what Paul says is that like, so, so how does new creation, how does redemption, how does salvation work? Well, it's, it's, quite, it's the same story. It's not a new story. We talk about the old covenant and the new covenant, okay, which is helpful. But, but it, it's like we, sh we should talk about the first covenant and the continued covenant or the first covenant and the second covenant or something like that because there's this absolute weaving of the same thing. So how do we experience? We've all been born. How do we become reborn? We've all experienced life. But how do we experience the life of the kingdom? We've all experienced disappointment and sin and death and drama and brokenness. And so now this whole second stanza is about Christ and the cross. That God came, the Word through whom the world was made, the Word, the Logos, through whom the whole world fits together, who, through whom everything holds together, literally. He comes into the world to redeem us back to Himself. That through His blood, we would again have peace and restoration of relationship with God. That's what they're singing about. They're singing the whole story. They're singing the creation story and the story of the cross. And so, I don't know how it happened for you, but for me, there was a time in my life when I had to make a decision. Um, and I always understood this in terms of... of my decision, and um, something I, like I was the principal actor in the story. Again, because we like all the focus to be on us. We like to be in the center. And, our, and, and, and so and often we preach it like, we, we preach about the fact that we made a decision for Christ. And the more I've reflected on it personally and theologically, it's, 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 more, it's a lot more passive than that. In the, it's, it's like a, a recapitulation for me. It's actually like a surrender when we lift our hands in worship. Because for me, it was, so let me not take away, yes, it was a decision. Lord, I call you Lord and Savior. I cry out to you as my king and my God. 
But the action in that was, it was more, it was more just a, you know what, I got to give up. This is not working. <laughs> it's like, this is not the way it was meant to be. It's not meant to be all about me. It's meant to be all about you. And so, salvation and new birth and new creation and new life is often, for me, it's like a recapitulation where we're surrendering again and going, it's actually all about you. And you're the focus. And whatever words we want to use, you're the king, you're the Lord, you're the savior. I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll never forget a, um, this very years and years and years ago. I was in an office in North Riding, and this um, very successful and prominent businessman came, and he sat down, and um, he came to a service, and um, so obviously something was stirring in his heart, and he came and he said to me, it's like, you know, and he was using some analogy at that time, this was like 25 years ago or whatever, and he was using his pie chart, you know, and he was saying, you know, it's like business is going well and it's in the right place and relationship is going well and family's going and he's got all, you know, this whole pie chart of his is all very well ordered and the colors are all in the right place, but there's a segment of his life um, called, you know, church that he needs to like get in the right place, you know. And I was young, I was so wet behind the ears. Um, I just, uh, I think he actually still carried on coming to church miraculously because I just, I was like, well, <laughs> it's like, that is just, no, this is not a business. This is not a pie chart. It's like, you know, so it's like, the way that thing works is, well, make a pyramid and sort of turn the whole thing upside down and put Jesus at the top and let him have all the pieces because that's the pie chart that he wants. He wants to stand on top of it and mush it all up and go, it's all about me. You can't just give me this little, like, little bit over here. Anyhow, I was brave enough to tell him as it was. But anyhow, let's, um, I just wanted to share a few practicalities of that and, and then pray this morning, is that, so I can keep preaching on this, and it, it's so important for me, but we've got to actually say, so where does the rubber hit the road? And so the real challenge is, so to use you know, Neil's analogy, where, where's our life entwined with the Lord? And where is it entangled with other stuff? Because that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Lay aside. Always a mixed bag, hey? There's, place, there's places in our lives that, that it, it's like there's this dance of love and swans and hearts and kisses. If that's the picture, that, I don't know what picture you saw. And then on the other side, there's that, I'm going to mix up my metaphors and my fairy tales. So there was a fairy tale of the, 
the princess and the, that got in the forest and the thorns and the, you know, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. That was it. You know, it's all those those like ugly, demonic forests that were entangled and that kind of thing. Just using different metaphors. But we've all got. It's a bit of both and, huh? There's all areas of our lives that are like not really happening as they should happen. And so the real challenge for each of us today is when we come to pray is to say, what, what of my life? Where in my life are you not preeminent? So I thought of Costa this week. Um, Costa, and he's coming up um, in October. He'll be here, so hopefully we'll see him. And Costa always used to say, had this same thing. He said, Do you want to, if you want to see where someone's priorities are, he said, get their bank statement and their diary. It's like, <laughs> just look at, just look at, let's get a bank statement. Let's have a look. And then let's look at your diary. My brother, who works in the bank, still works in the bank, he used to say, he used to tell me these hysterical stories. Of, um, so people would come into the office of the manager and they'd go like, we broke, we don't, have, we don't have any money to repay our commitments to the bank and that kind of thing. And like some of us are as stupid as to think that the bank manager didn't pull the statement. You know, <laughs> and he, he told me of early stories of sitting and saying to people like, it's a DSTV whatever it was that time, like 600 rand a month in those days. He's like, is that really a priority? You owe us money, but you're spending 600 rand on DSTV. But the funniest ones was the people that had drawn thousands of rands throughout the night at Monte Cassino the night before. You know, and, and, it's like, and they, the guys would go, well, like, you know, maybe if you didn't gamble or whatever. So maybe it's not that easy. But, um, but the point is, is that often you, you draw a bank statement and you see where your priorities lie. And the other one is just simply, just like also looking at your diary. And I realize that these are, these are complex things and that. But I mean, the two things that, so the, from the formation of God's people with Abraham, God taught Abraham to give the first, the tithe, the first of everything. I mean, before Moses, before the law, before the covenant, and you can try and do fancy footwork about that. It's like God taught them even to give to this, this, this weird figure, perhaps this, this pre-sort of Christ figure of Melchizedek, to go give a first of everything to Melchizedek. And that started a pattern right away through Israel and the church of just giving a first of everything to the Lord. And I mean, that is the, you know, and it's like, but Jesus, you do not live in Johannesburg in 2023. You have no idea. That would be me, how life works here. Because if I pay my bills and 
there's nothing left at the end of the month. That's just how it works. We, there's never enough money. I mean, to give money to God is just ridiculous. And then it's like, but when you give a first of everything, it's like, it just changes the whole ball game. Because not only is there some fancy footwork that you need to do, but there's also something that we're saying that we're singing about. Because from him and through him and to him is everything. And so the principle that God was trying to teach his people is that the very fact that you have anything is because of me. Those gifts that you have for work or relationships, who do you think gave them to you? That vocation, that calling on your life, where do you think you got that from, smart Alec? And so there's, like, even just that one thing, and there's a whole lot, it's going to get worse, okay? That one thing, just, it changes. Because it basically says, well, like, this is all meant to be for you in any event. And you know, there are times that, there are times that that's actually quite easy. Times that are hard and there are times that are quite easy. But this diary thing, that gets complicated. That really, because that is just every, you know, tithing and giving, you can say, well, okay, this is what I'm going to do this month, whatever, and it's done. But this diary thing is just every day. And so, most practically, our diaries are filled with all kinds of things, and they always will be. But the principle of what this hymn is about, the principle that Christ should be preeminent in everything. So how do I put him first? And so this applies to all kinds of things, but, but just the simple things sometimes is just, well, where am I going to be with you today? Can I give you preeminence in my diary? Can I, can I give you some space? Oh, maybe I should think of tithing. I might not want to tithe 24 hours. I might want to tithe when I'm awake. I don't know. Let's, you do the maths. I'm not very good at that. But, um, but just, just if, you know, so... In the old days, you know, the, the very sort of traditional Christian view was you had a quiet time and you had it at the outset of your day. And then as charismatics and as even we got like, oh, that's just ritual. You know, it's just, um, it's just like the law and we stopped doing that. And I remember listening to a preacher years ago. He said a young, a young guy um, came to the Lord and he said, what do I need to do now that I'm a Christian? He says you need to like spend an hour in the Word every day, and I think that you need to pray every day, and you need to like I don't know, give ten percent or twenty. It was like ridiculous of your money away, and he did that. And it was like I don't know months or eight of the guy came to me and said that's such rubbish. He says why did you tell me I needed to spend an hour in prayer and an hour in the Word? And that? he's like you're talking rubbish. 
And he says, no, completely. He says, but I knew it would be good for you. <laughs> it's just like, I knew it would get you off on the right foot. <laughs> and I often think of it like that, you know. I think, you know, just to simply just get back into a routine where I spend some time with the Lord every day. Man, how that helps me. I've told you I've set a reminder on my phone. Um, it goes off at 2 o'clock every day. And more often than not, I just silence it. And, and that reminder is meant to be just to be silent and to practice some of the things that I've learned from Ansi and Lynn and just to be quiet and have a time of quiet reflection. And it's, it, it's there throughout Scripture. It's there in the Psalms of Selah. Just pause. Just stop. But to have a time in the day where you just turn off your phone, stop looking at your email, stop thinking of what you're going to and just stop. And on the odd occasion when I get that right, it just changes the tone of the rest of my day. And there's various tricky things that the Christians through the ages learned. And Lynn can teach them to you. But that time just puts my focus back on him. And so you can use images and words and prayers and all different things. But it just goes, phew, I started this day where it was meant to be all about you. Kind of lost the plot a little bit. But maybe I can just put the focus back on you. And so that's, that's one thing that has helped me. Just one thing. It's having a time of quiet, of focusing on my breathing, my meditation, and that focus of attention goes back to him. And amazingly, that the psychiatrists and the neurologists and that are going, it's quite good for you. And now they're even saying it changes the brain patterns in your brain. And Jesus going, but I told you this in Eden for Pete's sake. You were meant to walk with me in the cool of the evening every day. That was the plan. And what he normally says to me is, dumbass. But that's the lesson that I'm learning again and again. I was made, you were made, we were made through him. We were made for him. And he is meant to be the focus, the pinnacle, the preeminence of all our lives. So let's pray. So Lord, this morning we just bring to you all our entanglements, 
our distractions. And those rocks that we're tripping on. And even just now, you know what, you know what some of them are. And just, just hold them before the Lord. Lord, would you make this all about you again? We ask you, Creator God, the one who made us, Jesus, help us make this about you. Would you come and entangle us with you, Lord?